cleaning up some technique areas. And so the weight is manageable and it's not like the fatigue is not going over into my squat. You know what I'm saying? So the, by the time I'm done with this cycle, the two lifts I'm going to test are going to be my bench and my squat and the deadlift. I'm I'm just going to leave the deadlift alone. Nice. You know, I'll probably do like a deficit, you know, two rep max on the deadlift, but nothing crazy. Right. So, yeah, I'll say, man, like, I fluctuate between like 173 and 176, but I was up to 214 at one point. And that's when I was mm-hmm. like, I was just lifting real, real heavy. And I feel so much better being like here. I'd like to be like 180-ish, but mm-hmm. just like getting outside and like playing sports or like skateboarding. Like, dude, I yeah. feel so good being lighter. I'm bummed. I'm grateful, but I'm super bummed because I strained my quad the other day doing front squats. Because oh, I was fuck. just like all hyped up and I was, I was like, I wanted to hit a PR and I did two, mm-hmm. I did 200 for six. And on the last, it was that last rep, man, I felt something, but it's not, it's not terrible. Like I can like lunge and, and stuff, but it's just really tight. Like it's just yeah. like I, I pulled something, you know? So, yeah. which, which is like, ah, oh, that day I was like, oh, come on, man. And I felt it in my legs. I was a little sore, still a little yeah. tight. Even after a full 10, 15 minute dynamic warm up, I was still like, my legs were a little tight. This phase doing that six, twelve, twenty-five. This phase has been pretty gnarly on the legs. So yeah, that would beat you up. Yeah, <laughs> I think I you learn so much from injuries too, because it's like being able to kind of manage like your intensity and like your workouts and how you program. Like how you're saying, Chris, like you know from years and years of benching, like you got to use the block to kind of like emphasize, you know, obviously you're trying to get stronger, but like the full range probably for your shoulder and going all the way down with heavier load right off the gate is not the best way. Like you got the blocks and you know, you're still able to progress and challenge yourself and get stronger, but like you're being more mindful of those limitations, so to speak. And you're only going to do it when you actually compete on, on the actual lifting day. No, exactly. Exactly. That's that's when it's when experience comes into play, right? You, you know your body well enough. Understanding fatigue and how fatigue works. That's like one of my biggest lessons that I learned this well last year into this year. I didn't realize how much of a toll deadlift takes deadlifting takes on you until last year, right? I was deadlifting. There was a phase, a good 12 week phase that I was deadlifting three times a week. And it was, and it was pretty, it was pretty intense deadlift. Jesus Christ. Your nervous system Um, must have been freaking shot, dude. Yeah. And I felt so strong. Like I felt really good. But then by the end of the year, by the time I needed to compete, the fatigue hit like a freaking brick wall because all throughout the year, I was just kind of redlining, 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 redlining. And eventually you know, by the time I got to my meet, I mean, I, I still pulled really well during the meet, but I could have done so much more if I managed my fatigue. So this year, the carryover, the lesson learned is to kind of pick and choose a really small block. Maybe it's going to be a four week block where I go, where I go ham. And then after that, it's just going to kind of stay in maintenance mode between 80 to maybe 90% of my deadlift. Um, so that by the time I get to the meet, I can be up again. But because it was... I mean, there was a certain point I was deadlifting. I was doing like three, three by threes with 660. Damn. And it, and it, it felt Jesus. so good, but I was just burnt out by the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh Something God. I've been kind of messing with since my wrist injury 
And don't worry, I'm going to get on those pull-ups. Don't, don't you worry, guys. I'm going to get on those pull-ups. But definitely something... That Pat, has still not, Pat has still not done my pull-up challenge. That was two, month, gonna, two months gonna ago. Do. He's going to do it. I trust that he's going to do, do it. I'm going to do it. But it's a running joke that he still hasn't done it. <laughs> Can't hold myself up right now. No, no. I, it's good. It's, it's like, my, my, my grip strength, though, is definitely getting there. Like... I've noticed just like week over week, like just progressively overloading, not just with weight, but like time under tension and mm-hmm. like really messing with the vari- with the tempo variable. And that's something I've been trying to educate my clients as far as like, especially like a lot of younger men feel like you always have to kind of just put weight on the bar all the time to get stronger. And it's like, yeah. actually, that's only one way to get stronger. I mean, there's you can stick with the same weight week over week and try to increase in reps. You can try to have better movement quality and actually like maybe better range of motion. If we're talking, let's say a squat, you can get stronger with the same weight, but, you know, reduce your rest interval, you know, obviously time under tension and doing more pauses at the isometric point or eccentrics or things like that are going to make the exercise harder. And so I was just kind of like telling them and and they're kind of blown away because most obviously like fitness magazines and bodybuilding.com and stuff. It's always like, you know, put more weight on. And, and obviously it's true. You obviously have to progressively overload with weight to some extent, but at some point, you know, you kind of have to, you're going to hit a a ceiling and it's like, okay, well, how can I get stronger at a deadlift without actually having to put more weight on? Like what are some kind of different variations you can kind of do? Yeah. And that's what I'm, and that's what I'm exploring now, you know, things like pauses, right? Pausing, at, at your knee on a deadlift that is it's terrible it's so hard mm. <laughs> it's Dude, so hard yeah. but it's so good for you you know what i mean you know messing around with bands and stuff like that any kind of tempo work i think is legit so when you get to the top and then you lower the bar slowly right that's all that's all work that could be done so you, you don't necessarily have to be deadlifting 750 for, you know, 10 reps all the time. You know what I'm saying? I think, and I think a lot of people, that's what they do. And that's why a lot of people get injured. You know what I mean? It's like, there's gotta be deloading phases. There's gotta be different, like we're saying, working different areas like eccentrics, isometrics, concentrics. And that's all stuff I'm still learning about. But dude, I've done some RDLs where I hold for 15 seconds at my knees and, Ooh, isometric, oh. and then you hit eight reps and it's like that's disgusting Ooh. yeah, yeah, just, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, god it burns it burns yeah. <laughs> it burns yeah so i think like a good approach for that too like just kind of thinking about maybe people who are listening that work out because i know a lot of people work out and they do the same workouts constantly you know what i mean they i know people who do the same workouts for years and it's like you know, a very simple and effective way is to do like some form of a linear periodization, which we might have touched on before on one episode. But basically, periodization is just like your game plan for your training for anyone listening. And basically, starting off with like a hypertrophy phase and being in like, you know, that eight to 10 rep range, then going into more of like a strength phase, which I don't know, actually, would you guys consider like reps between like three and five as more strength or power? Because I've heard many different things that like if coaches, certain coaches prefer, like say powerlifting is really like raw strength lifting when like powerlifting, like Olympic lifting could be considered powerlifting because it's like specifically explosive power. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. I think across the spectrum, I mean, obviously, if the goal is powerlifting and getting stronger, then obviously you're going to aim towards those, you know, one to eight rep range, you know, that rep range for strength. And power is going to kind of fall in line with that same thing because power and strength, well, power is more 100% your effort. Like if you're doing a med ball slam, you're not doing 79.5% of your, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, You're doing a hundred percent. Super light. It's super light. And you're just trying to be as explosive as possible. Right. Right. So I, I definitely like to get a mix of those rep ranges, especially if someone wants to get stronger. I like to do contrast sets where I will basically superset I'll prime their nervous system with a power-based movement. So if we're doing squats, I'll have them do box jumps or a squat jump or some sort of explosive knee-dominant movement pattern, and then going into the actual strength movement. And if we're a deadlift, I'll usually do like a broad jump, which is more of a horizontal movement pattern. Still like a hip hinge, but you're still being able to get explosive and fire that nervous system. So when you're actually getting to your strength component, your body's already kind of primed and ready to go. So I think it the the power and the strength kind of go coincide with those rep ranges. Yeah. But definitely like you're saying, definitely like variables. Yeah. And and I actually I'm just thinking this. I didn't even finish what I was saying. So whoever's listening might be like, what the hell? He didn't even finish. So like starting with like a hypertrophy phase where it's more like muscular development. So your eight to twelve rep ranges and then month two being more like a max strength. You know, I would consider that like, you know, your six rep, five, six reps, and then power being more lower reps, depending though, because that's the other thing too, is like, depending on, can you properly deadlift? Should you even be really, you know, working with 80%, 80 to hundred percent of your one rep max? Probably not if mechanically it's not there, but I feel like- It depends on the training experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of kids, one thing I think I was having a conversation with the coaches and you know, they're obviously a lot older than me and have more experience and they've been doing this a lot longer. So, so, you know, they kind of have that traditional method of like 853 method or a five by five, you know, for these athletes. But a lot of times, I mean, these kids, the form is still not the best. And, you know, now we're loading up the bar to test their one rep max when, you know, they're not even able to do a three rep max or a five rep max correctly. So like, some of the discussions that we'll kind of have is like, I think for, and I'm just specifically talking to the younger, you know, generation, like more beginner weightlifters that, you know, still need to kind of get in tune with their body. Definitely. I think a higher rep range is going to be more beneficial to develop the actual motor control and like actual get the movement down. So then once your body starts to get adapted to, you know, that higher volume and you transition to more of a strength phase, you know, you're going to be much more effective in actually being able to execute the movement, feel the actual strength being developed because you're actually able to have total control. I mean, strength is yeah. a skill, you know, Chris, just like you said, like strength is a skill. It's something you have to practice, but sometimes I think you have to actually work your way up to that point before you actually start putting on like 75% of your one rep max or higher, you know, to really kind of test it. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, a perfect example of that is I, I love to use the bench press, right? Especially, and this could go for adults and kids and adolescents, whatever they want to call themselves these days. The thing about the bench press is your chest development is one thing, shoulder development is one thing, but if your upper back isn't built, right? If you haven't worked on your upper back, your bench press is going to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's never going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 
because opposites attract, right? So if the upper back is very weak, you're going to put so much pressure on your pecs in the front of your shoulders that, you know, things are going to start falling apart up top, right? Until you start working on the upper back, right? And this is what I do with my younger clients and people that are new to bench pressing, right? We don't get under a barbell when we're bench pressing because you don't, you have no business bench pressing, but we work on doing things like pull-ups, right? Can you do, can you do pull-ups? No, I can't do pull-ups. You shouldn't be bench pressing. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And can you do a dumbbell row, right? So I like the rows. I call them balance rows. And I, and I've seen a lot of people doing them where, where you're on the bench, you're on all fours on the bench, and then you have the opposite leg up and the on arm rowing, right? So yeah, not only it's like a that, bird dog row, it's right? Like a bird, like a bird dog, dog yeah, row. Bird yeah. dog row. That's not only working like your core and ensuring that your core is tight, but it's the lat, it's the upper back, it's all of those muscles. And when I see that you can master that at a pretty decent rate, then I can start teaching you how to properly bench, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of people out there that don't properly bench and they end up hurting their shoulders and weird things happen. And then the other thing is just overall like build, right? Like the squat, the bench, the deadlift requires so, so much more muscle than you would think. And mm-hmm. if those muscles aren't ready, then you run into all sorts of issues and you can see that, right? Knees are caving in, backs are rounding, yeah. like little, all sorts it's of deteriorate, stuff. So, deteriorating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, what happens is the larger muscles, right? Those are usually well-developed. It's just those tiny muscles that yeah. need that need the work, the stabilizer yeah. muscles that need the work, so that you can actually hold yourself up without your chest collapsing on the squat, right. and right. so on and so forth. And it's like uh, if you look at the anatomy, like the human anatomy, and you look at, of course, the lats are superficial muscles, so they're like one of the prime movers. But it's literally like the entire back. And yeah. the lats, the lats have so much to do. With, mm-hmm. with supporting the shoulders in a bench press and actually creating power. You know what I mean? Like when it's so hard to explain, like when you start teaching someone how to bench, like to engage your lats, like yeah. draw your shoulders down and back and squeeze your lats. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's yeah. like it's little things like that, you know, even like rotator cuff stuff, like doing like rear delt work, like TRX flies or TRX. Yep, TYIs, yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So because it's yeah. like, you know, most people have bad posture as it is and people's pec minor is already, that's a smaller muscle in your pec is already like so tight that it's mm-hmm. like they they can't even get into a proper, like an anatomically neutral position with the shoulders. So that's something that's like, you know, huge, huge for people. And especially men, like a lot of the guys I write programming for a lot of shoulder health stuff and, and a lot of pulling yeah. because so many people do so much pushing that those, those back muscles get weak and lengthened. And then, yep. you know, the front ones get over tight and just becomes, becomes a ticking time bomb. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, some exercise that I really like to teach people to do with the band specifically, I like to get a set of band pull-aparts to kind of activate those rear delts. Yep. And then I'll go into external rotation. So to get the kind of rotator cuff. So where I have your palms upward and then you're just trying to keep your elbows nice and tight towards your torso and you're pulling it apart that way. So you're getting yep. external rotation, you're getting the rear delts, uh, face pulls. So mm-hmm. getting a little bit more of what also what I do with the face pulls too is when I'm kind of pulling them, I kind of actually like to rotate my wrist out this way 
So yeah. I'm actually getting a little bit more external rotation. So really kind of getting a lot more, like you're saying, those stabilizer muscles. Yeah. And then I'll do a straight arm pull down to kind of engage the lats and really kind of fire those guys up because yeah. with the lats is being able to stabilize your body against the bench and being able to kind of pit yourself in, in it. So when yeah. the bar is coming down, it's almost like you're kind of rowing it to your yeah. chest. It's you're like not really letting... Row. Yeah, exactly. Like a reverse row. So I like to just like use a lot of priming exercises before we do any compound movements, because if I'm telling you like, Hey, like engage your lats or feel your lats, like get that squeeze. You already feel it because we just got some blood flow to it with those priming movements. So I think if you are trying to do some bench press specifically, those would be some good exercises to kind of do. Well, what are some exercises you guys like to do besides those ones for like a pre-bench routine. Get yourself a coach that knows how to bench press. That's yeah, yeah, that's number one. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I would say also TRX. I don't, I actually don't know the exact name for this one, but TRX, you basically row in a T and then externally rotate. So I literally like a TRX T row, boom, external rotation, bang, yeah. back, drop from external rotation and release. So that one's really good because we're still getting those mid traps, rhomboids involved, but then that external rotation, we're getting that rotator cuff and external rotator. So, because what was I going to say? Something about the rotator cuff. I mean, rotator cuff injuries are like just so, so common too, especially Mm -hmm. with men. So Pat, really like banded pull-aparts are really good. I like to do some form of a warm-up of like foam rolling the lats, opening up the chest, you know, certain mobility movements as well to help Mm -hmm. with that T-spine rotations. So yeah. How about you, Chris? So I love to do, before I bench, actually before I do all of my workouts, the first thing I do is ab rollouts. Very first thing, because that, it primes my core, right? So if I take a big brace and then I'm doing my ab rollouts, I'm getting my core ready for any work that I'm doing. That's number one. If my core is not primed, I'll get into issues, right? And then as far as the bench goes, I like to just take the dumbbell, lay on my sides and do some, and do some rotations with the rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. And then the one that I really like is instead of keeping your arm at a 90 degree, I extend the arm all the way out. And so I, basically I do a reverse fly with the, with the dumbbell. So basically thumb down and then I reverse it with a thumb up because oh, that's yep. just going to hit that's just going to hit the rear delt, that whole trap rear delt area. And then I do some dumbbell tricep extensions and then I get under the bar. Nice. Just try to keep it, try to keep it as simple, simple as possible. And I just get up under there, but that's coming from a person that's experienced. Yeah. Right. Right. I've been doing it long enough that, you know, now my warmups aren't as elaborate as they used to be. Mm. Right. Because, you know, there would be a point where I would do all the banded pull aparts. I would do, I'll, I'll do all that. Then I'll do some push-ups, and then I'll do the whole rotator cuff exercises. But as you kind of grow and you've built that, I call it the armor, right? You do have some leeway when it comes to your warm-ups. Definitely. Agreed. Right. Agreed. The other thing too, and I don't know actually how much this would mess with powerlifting. Chris, you'd be a good one to maybe counterbalance my statement here. But another thing that you, people can do is actually superset bench press movements with some of the movements we're talking about with doing, you know, a set of bench and then hitting a set of banded pull aparts or hitting a set of some TRX Y's or, you know, depending on like 
fatigue level, of course, because we don't want to like fatigue the back so much that it's going to affect the bench press. But what would you say on so that, Chris? For, for, the, for, the power, for the powerlifters that believe in hypertrophy, that's something that I believe in hypertrophy and that's something that I do. So when I'm in my hypertrophy season, I am doing supersets like that. So I'll go from a bench press to a seal row. Right. Ah, I love the seal rows. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I love, yeah. com- I love combining those two because I'm, it's, a, it's a push pull. You know what I mean? Or I will do like a bench press and pull ups. Right. And especially mm-hmm. in, in hypertrophy, I, the weights are lighter. So I kind of have that energy reserve to do, to do both. Like when you start getting into sixes, fives, fours, threes, twos, ones, you want to preserve as much energy as possible before you right. get under the bar. So you kind of stay away from that. Exactly. But in hypertrophy, yeah, that, that's all. That's, that's game, baby. That's, that's game. The good, that's the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff, man. I, I think hitting supersets is like one of my favorite things. Yeah. Along with it being super, super time efficient. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, boom, bench press, bang. Okay, I'm hitting an incline row or I'm hitting a pull up. You know what I mean? So, of course, I'm not coming from the, the power lifting standpoint. So... It, it builds it builds muscle and it gets you stronger. Yeah, right? I think exactly. The, the name of the game is can I build muscle, right? If yes, then that muscle that you've newly created, newly recruited, that transfers over if you do it right to your strength and your power training. I've never seen anyone that's, you know, stayed the same and haven't built any muscle and gotten stronger. I've never seen that. Yeah. Unless you're on the juice. And you're probably getting stronger with that. (laughs) Even even then, even then you're still building muscle. You know what I mean? So, so I want to take it back. I want to take it back to what Chris said though, about like, pre-core activation because I, oh, I was I just going to say that but I, think, I had it I, written down. I, 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 I think I go I, back to this. Guy. I know because <laughs> I, I, I got something I'll do to like bird dogs or like dead bugs or something like that are really good exercises I'll do. But I think the importance of activating your core because like your core yeah. is going to be for everything, not even just for everything, three, man. but for everything, you know? So I really feel that it gets neglected because, you know, you most people just have the mentality to just to want to go into it and yeah. just get after it. But you would actually get much more benefit and value from your workout if you properly primed your core and get that guy all activated before you started kind of just going right into it. So I kind of wanted to just like really get your guys' take on what are some really good go-to exercises for a beginner or someone who is a little bit newer to weight training that ah. you know they're going to really value from applying into their warm-up. I think just for beginner, beginner, you have them lay on their back and you teach them how to brace their core and you have them do that, right? So basically take a big deep breath in, hold it, push your pelvic floor down, keep it tight yeah. and then release. Keep the lumbar do, spine to the floor. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you do that. That's like, that's golden. Now you're already instilling in them how to brace so that when yeah. you are giving them the cue under the bar and you're like brace, they already know how to do that. You know what I mean? Because so one that's of the like, easiest, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. no, one of the easiest ways to learn how to activate your core is from the floor and being yep. on your back. And, and actually, it's it's ironic enough. I'm I'm studying a core conditioning course right now, and it's it's going over core activation movements right now. And all the beginner ones are off on the floor from the back, like Chris was saying, lying on your back posteriorly tilting the pelvis to keep the lumbar spine flat to the floor. And you have to keep pressure on the floor the entire time. And they actually say that 
I haven't actually used this method before yet, but you can actually take a blood pressure cuff and put it under somebody's back and you can read the knob and basically have them press into the blood pressure cuff until there's a certain amount of pressure and you can see the needle like on a certain, I think it's like 40 PSI or something like that, that you want to get them to or whatever yep. the, the measurement is. And then you alternate dropping your legs in a bent position. You drop one leg, bring it back and you've got to keep that, that lumbar spine and like that a needle. March. Yeah. And that needle at a certain point, because if the lumbar spine starts to come up off the back, now where, you know, everything, that whole anterior side of the core is opening up. So yeah. So uh, like dead bugs are really good. I love pal-off presses. Another key thing though, is like, you don't want to fatigue your core before working out. Like activating is one thing, but fatiguing, say someone does a bunch of crunches before they go squat, do a heavy squat. Now their core is going to be fatigued and not going to be supporting as well. So it's kind of like that fine line of just getting a couple reps in enough to start to feel a little bit of fatigue through that core enough to like really feel that tightness. But I think first of all, it's just learning how to activate the transverse abdominis. You know what I mean? I think it's one of the biggest myths too, that if you do more core or ab work that you're going to kind of see your abs like that. Like you probably see it like on just certain workouts, like on social media, like, oh, like ab circuit, like mountain climbers and bullshit (laughs) like that. And it's just like, bro, like, yeah, you're ripped, but we know that you didn't just do mountain climbers to get that six pack. Like it's all nutrition. It's being in a calorie deficit. And it was funny. I was talking to just one of the guys he trains at our gym. I was doing some hanging leg raises today. And he was just like, Pat, like, you know, your abs are coming in really, really good. Like, you know, like how many times do you hit abs a week? And I'm like, this is the only exercise I do like the whole week for abs. I don't do abs. Like the two things I hate training is biceps and abs. I literally cannot stand it. Like I just do not like training them, but obviously I know I got to train them at some point. So yeah, I was telling him that he was kind of really kind of shocked and I kind of saw he was a little surprised and he, you know, he's a big dude. Like, you know, he works out, like he's consistent. So we had this discussion as far as like, you know, like I asked him, do you feel that you need to train your abs every day? And he's just like, yeah, man, like, you know, if I don't, then I start to kind of get a little flabby or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, man, but like, what's, your, what's your nutrition like, right? Like, how are you doing your nutrition? And he's just like, oh, like, come on, why you got to go there? And I'm like, bro, like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not. You could do abs every day, but if your nutrition's not dialed in, if you are at a higher body fat percentage, like which, you're not gonna which, you're not gonna get rid of it. I want to drop in real quick on two things you just said, Pat. So it's funny because there's a couple of things that I'm gonna read a couple of pieces because I was just studying this material the other day. So in, in this this training course, this core conditioning, scientific core conditioning by Paul Check, and he has three different abdominal training myths. And the very first one is that our abdominal exercises reduce your midsection, which is not true. And it literally, the first line says, and I did not know this, that there's no direct metabolic pathway from the muscle cells in your midsection to the fat cells surrounding them. So basically like you can't just freaking do a bunch of crunches and burn fat. It's just not going to work that way. You know, and like you said, Pat, it's, it's nutrition and it's also not only nutrition, but focusing on the proper movement patterns, you know, I think too, like to go back into like a beginner or someone who's just starting out, like, I don't really think they should be focusing so much on like 
you know, the accessory movements, like doing like chest flies or like lap pull downs. I mean, lap pull downs maybe, but they should be focusing on like flat pressing, pulling, squatting, lunging, hinging. You know what I mean? All the major movement patterns that are going to help burn the most fat because it's taking so much energy for the body to perform these movements. So I I, want to throw that in there. And the other thing too, that I learned, you know, and of course this is only from one angle is that actually training abs every single day is a myth as well. The abdominal wall is just like any other muscle. And in fact, it's like one of the biggest sections, you know, our trunk section is what supports our whole spine. So Mm -hmm. if we can create pattern overload, just like any other movement pattern, like benching too much, or typically I feel like that's the biggest one. It's like for men, like pushing too much, you're going to get that pattern overload in the chest and put yourself at risk of injury. So the same thing for the core, because if you do so much abs, now you're going to get tightness in the front side and now your back like your rector muscles are going to be lengthened so then you're going to just put yourself at risk of injury that way too so that's pretty interesting and there's a way that you can actually train your upper abdominal wall on one day your your internal external obliques another day and then your lower abdominals on another day so there's different exercises to do with a more proper approach so that we're not putting ourselves at risk of injuring so I thought yeah. I thought you guys might find that information kind of cool. Yeah, I think um, like how you're saying, like training your abs every day or training any muscle a lot is going to give you faster results. And that's not the case. And there's a lot of research. Jake, the, the book I was telling you about by Dr. Eric Helms, The Muscle Pyramid. So he kind of goes into like how to build strength and more hypertrophy focus. And for every muscle group or every movement pattern, you're going to want to hit those muscles two times a week. Like that's a good recommendation. I'll say for anyone who wants to get stronger or build muscle with a particular muscle group in mind that they want to focus in on, because if you start to increase the frequency and you're doing so much volume each workout and you're blasting yourself, then yeah, sure. You're doing a lot of damage, but now you're not giving your body the proper recovery time to actually rebuild, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. most people think that if they're not leaving the gym, you know, like on a leg day, they're not crawling out of the gym, then it wasn't a good workout. I always try to just tell my clients, it's like, look, you're not a powerlifter, you're not in CrossFit, you're not an elite athlete. You're just trying to, you know, be healthy and and stay in shape and look a little bit better, feel better, move better. So it's like, if you can leave the gym feeling like... Dude, hold on one second. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry because this is something that like gets me. So exactly what you just said, you're not a powerlifter, you're not a CrossFit or whatever. The, the elite athletes, whether it's powerlifting, NBA, whatever, when they complete their workouts, they're not dying. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, just, they're just done. Right. Right. It's when we start trying to do what they're doing. That's why we are like, oh my gosh, that was the hardest workout I've ever done. Those workouts are tailored to them because they're mm-hmm. elite. Right. So like I would never take a newbie and have him and have him or her do my five by five program because that'll yeah, kill them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but me, when I when I do my five by five program and I'm just learning this, when I finish my workout, I'm not dying. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good for today. Yeah. <laughs> and, I can, and I can walk up the stairs and I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's you like know what I'm saying? Training, training to failure. Every workout is like not the thing to it's do. A, no. It's not. Yeah. And people and think is, like soreness. It's like, oh, I'm sore. That means I got a good workout. If I'm not sore, that wasn't yeah. good. It's like, 
No, that's that's actually not. not it's all. not beast mode or whatever. It's it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 just not being smart about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just right? asking to get hurt because <laughs> you need to make it to the next workout. You have yeah. to. <laughs> you have to get better. Yeah, you yeah. have to make it. Yeah. Because if yeah. you don't, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going. You're going balls to the to the wall for like a week, and then it's like, oh, like a. I'm 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 too beat like from last yeah. week. You know, it's like, Bro, well, like I'm too sore. No wonder you're not making gains. Yeah. And so, it's okay to be sore, but you know, so, I, that's you know, actually a, a good discussion to go. I have somebody I want to bring on the podcast and I actually reached out to him and he said he would do it. He's studying his master's degree in exercise physiology or exercise science. Oh yes. I this love those kid, guys. Dude, <laughs> this guy, he's jacked, man. He he works out at the gym I train at. He's a super cool dude, but he knows his stuff, like knows his stuff. So I love reading his posts because they're always so in depth. Yeah, he, I'm excited to have him on because he goes into muscle soreness and, and different ways of recovery and proper training methods. And he does a little bit more like bodybuilding, but still, I love it. I love that. I think it'll be good for the listeners in ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is we can learn a lot from bodybuilders. There's a lot out there that can be learned from bodybuilders and the way they go about building muscle. And it requires you to, you know, for me as a powerlifter, it required me to check my ego at the door, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're basically lifting under 60% of your one rep max, mm-hmm. right? For a lot of reps. And then I, you know, I just kind of got introduced to reps in reserve, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it, right? Going three reps from failure. That's fine. Yeah. And then depending on how you how you program it, you go from three reps to two reps and then to one rep from failure. Right. And my my thing is is my my cue is is my form about to break down? If it's about to break down, then I stop. Because as soon as I break down, then I'm losing the whole point. And it becomes more of a linear growth than thinking that I'm gonna just grow overnight. Yeah. Right. Now what's exactly. the difference between RPE and reps and reserve? Because RPE is rate of perceived exertion. So like yeah. how close you are to basically like failure. Reps and reserve is how many reps do you have left in the tank? Correct. Failure. So it, it is kind of like an inverse relationship, but mm-hmm. is there like a difference between the two? Or is it kind of just the same thing, just how you're wording it? I think RPE is more of a label as to how you label that particular set. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm benching or whatever, and I'm going three reps from failure and I do 23 reps, usually that RPE would be probably like a six or something Mm -hmm. because I'm going three reps from failure. So they work hand in hand because the RPE is going to determine how deep you went with RIR. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I don't sense. got my PhD. I, I just, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking through this logically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They came out with Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, like one of the leading researchers in like hypertrophy, that he actually said in his research, like, you don't need to train a failure all the time to elicit muscle growth. Like, most of the time, we're thinking in our head, right? It's like, we have to push ourselves and, and try to reach that, you know, new level. But it's like, if you think about a beginning of a, of a training program, like a 12-week training program in week one, month one, you're doing to failure on everything that you're doing. Like how you were saying, yeah. Chris, like managing your fatigue throughout a program and throughout a, a mesocycle, like mm-hmm. being able to accumulate 
that fatigue and accumulate and manage that stress as you're kind of working your way up in the program to where obviously you'll have periods within your program, you know, pretty much at the end of each month where you're going to kind of peak. And then you'll have those times where, you know, you're going to, at the beginning of each block, you're going to be going at a lower RPE or a higher reps in reserve, you know? So always, you know, to actually apply this, if you think of, okay, this is the beginning of the month, it's April 2nd today, right? I'm starting my training program. All right. So for every exercise, try to take your exercise to a couple reps left, like leave a couple reps left in the tank, even though, you know, it's like, I could probably get more and push myself more. The point is to obviously you want to make sure you're picking a weight that's challenging enough for you. But at the same time, you're not going to failure on every set. Maybe if you wanted to, you could take the last set of that working set to failure, but not the first you know, three or two, depending on how much sets you're doing for an exercise. But at least that way for the next week, if you're tracking your workouts, you can actually say, okay, last week I went to, I was doing bench press at 225. I got sets of six on all four sets, but the last set was like a reps and reserve of like two. Okay. So if I want to actually progressively overload this and try to get a little bit stronger and you're keeping that same weight and the reps of reserve, let's just say it's one, right? It's one rep left in the tank. At that point, what you could do is you can just change the tempo and just maybe do like pauses at the bottom of the bench press, right? Pause right at the bottom of your chest and make that set harder without actually having to increase weight or anything like that. Because now that's a stronger demand on your body to get stronger. You're, you're, you're stimulating your muscles much more than what you did the previous week. And that's all your muscles and body is going to really need to actually adapt and get stronger. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I'll tell people. I like to look at getting stronger and building muscle by doing the least amount of work as possible. And in the way, in the context of you don't always have to go to failure. It doesn't always have to beat the shit out of you. It's doing just a little bit more than what we did last week, right? Still challenging yourself. It's still going to push you, but not to the extent right where, like I said, your legs are shaking or your arms are about to fall off, you know? And I think for people who maybe aren't seeing gains and they're kind of wondering, you know, I'm working so hard and I'm putting a lot of effort and I'm not seeing it. Maybe you should try applying what we're kind of talking about as far as like actually working your reps and reserve from a higher reps and reserve at the beginning of your program, like three or four to getting closer to one to zero at the end of your program or at the end of the month, however you kind of put your program together. And I think for most people, you'll see a lot more progress because now it's like you're not breaking down your muscles to the point where it has to take a long time to recover. They'll be recovered, you know, for that next session. Live to see another day kind of thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. And I think a good place for people to even start at too. Like, I don't know, I, I would consider this maybe more beginner intermediate but to kind of follow, to kind of give an idea of something that they can work with, because we're talking about a lot of stuff right now, is starting off, if you look at a month, right? A four-week block here for beginner intermediate, I'm going to say starting off with your main exercises as being like three sets by 10 to 12 reps. Week two, you can go into something like four sets by six to eight reps. Week three, you can work into depending. So here's where it gets it gets a little depending on experience wise. You can go into something like a a five a five by five, and then back to yeah. four. Now we're deloading. You know what I mean? So now we're kind mm-hmm. of taking like a smaller. I don't want to say micro cycle, but now we're 
doing progressions, a linear progression in a four week time frame when yeah. working the hypertrophy. And this is kind of what I was trying to explain in a couple couple minutes ago. But starting with that framework and using that for a little bit until strength starts getting better before starting to work with some of the stuff that we're talking about, like eccentrics and isometrics yeah. and pauses and, and stuff, because that's where you know where things start to get more advanced. Like, I mean, I've been I've been a trainer for almost four years and I'm just now experimenting and working with like eccentric work and pause reps and and stuff like that, half reps, like all you know, crazy parameters like that. And I've been able to make great gains in the last even seven years that I was working yeah. out just off like, you know, something like I just mentioned, kind of like a monthly periodization, like linear periodization. So yeah, most people, you have to work up to that point, though. I think that's the thing. You have to work up to that point and you have to actually gain the experience. Your body has to get used yeah. to the movements before yeah. you start doing all these fancy periodization models. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that you can kind of do. There's so much theories and things out there. It's so important that, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you go out there and you find someone that knows what they're doing. And, and who really that, knows what they're doing. Because there's that, a lot of people that, who... That is kind of hard to... <laughs> actually, Bye. actually, Bye. let's talk about how do you know the difference between a trainer that knows what they're doing versus a trainer that doesn't? That's, what, you- I was just, that's <laughs> what I was just oh, about man. to say. So here's my thing, right? So let's say you go, you've all bought cars before, right? Mm-hmm. No. So, no, you've never bought a car? I mean, I didn't buy it. My grandma passed when I got it, but that's another story. Anyway. Oh, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. That's, that's man, now, now I can't story. use my. I can't use it. Anymore. No, you can, man. That's uh, a beautiful, beautiful story. So, all right. <laughs> so you go out, you buy a car, right? You, you're at the dealership, and you got the sales rep that comes to you. I, and I love, I love doing this to them too. And I like to just go and start asking them random questions about how the car, the car's performance. And if they can't, if they're just trying to sell me the car, then you don't know anything about cars. Because if I'm asking you specific performance questions, and so to the consumers out there, if you find a coach that you like, I think it's okay to start asking them questions like, how are you going to program for me? Do you have a method? If you don't have a method, what method do you use? Can you, can you describe that method to me? How am I going to make any gains, whether it's a weight loss, whatever it is, right? Anyone in our industry, we should be ready to answer those questions. Yeah. You know, the performance questions, right? How much horsepower, you know, what kind of clutch is in the car? Like, you know, I'm looking for a double clutch, blah, 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 this and that, right? The consumers should, they should have the ability to do that. It should not be based on me posting a video of me doing X that should be like, oh, I should get him as a coach because he can do, he can do whatever. I don't want people to do that. Yeah, he does cool. He does cool. Box jumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want people to ask me the hard questions. Yeah. Right. So that I can, in return, I can give them something so that they can walk away with it. Even if they don't sign up with me, they they actually learn something just by having a jumping on a Zoom call with me. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. that's my advice to you to you guys out there if you're looking for a coach. I would agree with that. And I would what I would add on to that is I think a really good first step for people out there looking who like, you know, I really want to start this health journey not really sure where to start is first figure out what your goals are. What mm-hmm. are your goals for whatever you want? Fat loss, muscle gain, bodybuilding. Cool. You know. So now create an intention and create a goal and get really clear on what kind of trainer you would like to work with. 
you know, what does that, is that trainer big jacked, you know, big bodybuilder? Is that trainer someone who's a little Pat's flexing right now? (laughs) You know, is that somebody who's a little bit more into functional fitness or, or not even just functional fitness? Maybe it's a power lifter or maybe, you know, what kind of area do you want that person to be focused on? And what kind of qualities do you want that trainer to have? And being really clear on that. And then the social media is a beautiful tool. You know, you can do a lot of search in your area and just kind of look up hashtags. You know what I mean? Hashtags on not like not like hashtag beach bod, but like, you know, ha- hashtag like New Hampshire personal trainer, for example, or something like that, you know, along yeah. those lines and start searching. I think that that's a great way to a bit of a gateway. And, uh, and then, like Chris said, I would say it would be great to ask questions to that person, like, you know, not just like, hey, how much do you charge? But like, you know, yeah, what do you specific. do? Are you going to put me through an assessment? Like, is my program yeah. going to be personalized? And, you know, because there's a lot of trainers who give like cookie cutter programs or yeah. don't even do a proper assessment. And then, exactly. you know, you, you end up jacking your shit up, you know? <laughs> exactly. And and another thing to add, right? Because your question was, how do you determine a good trainer from a bad trainer? So oh, the true. bad trainer... Yeah, that was fine. I Yeah, I went off on a different route there. You're right. I didn't know. But the bad trainer, right, is probably... First of all, they're not going to give you a legit explanation as to how they built their method. <laughs> they're yeah. just going to be like, oh, I have this template that I'm going to give you. And then you just run it through. You can text me. You can do whatever you want. They're not going to give you like a block by like, what does this block mean? Right. Mm. I can walk you through that block. Right. I can walk you through my hypertrophy blocks and show you exactly my method when I look at hypertrophy and the things that I do. And then I can walk you through my strength block. If they can't do that, I think you're wasting your money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And And I think also too, like going with the training program, I think, a lot of people struggle with nutrition. So it's like, okay, you know, what kind of diet you're going to put me on? I think you got to run. You got to get the hell out of there. If they're saying, <laughs> this is your diet, this is your meal plan, right? Uh-huh. Unless you are competing, you are a bodybuilder, then right. If you're not, if they're telling you like, this is your meal plan, this is your diet plan, run. Because that's probably the laziest thing someone can do. And you're paying them, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for their professional service. Like there's plenty of meal plans and diets on bodybuilding.com that you can get. So why would you pay, you know, someone a lot of money for a custom meal plan? Like it's bullshit. So for a custom copy and paste. Yeah. So I think you got to really, like I said, kind of going along with what Chris was saying, like, you know, what's their method when it comes to nutrition, you know? And I think, in an assessment and something that I'll try to do is, you know, obviously ask people like what their goals are, but then kind of dig a little bit deeper. I, I think there's a lot of value in the depth of a conversation when you're meeting someone and you're talking about lifestyle changes, like, you know, losing weight and being more fit. So I think how that trainer is talking to you and the questions they're asking, if they're just asking like, you know, obviously the generic, like, you know, how much weight do you want to lose? And, you know, then they say, okay, like, you know, this is what you got to eat. This is what you got to do. And they kind of communicate to you in a way where it's like more of a drill sergeant and just like do as I say and 
and, mm-hmm. and you'll get the results. I think those are the trainers you got to watch out for because they might have the body and the appearance and the charisma and the suave, so to speak, of like how they are and hold themselves. Mm. And that's probably why they're successful and have a lot of clients. But at the end of the day, it's you that's going to actually have to do the work, not the trainer, you know, and if you're paying a lot of money for a trainer and, you know, you've struggled your whole life with your weight or you've lost weight and gained it back and you've done this whole yo-yo thing, then you have to really consider, okay, diets aren't going to work. A meal plan isn't going to work. I've tried it. I've done that. What are you going to give me that's going to actually get me results? And, and I think it comes down to understanding, okay, what are the questions he's asking me? You know, is he asking me like, why do I want to make changes? Like get yeah. into your underlying motivation yep. to make lifestyle changes. Because the thing is, is you know, you want to change. You obviously are there for a reason, right? You're, you're there mm-hmm. meeting the trainer. But there's this ambivalence of making the changes and the fear of uncertainty as far as making the commitment, putting the money down, going to the gym, having to get up early before work to do it, prepping your food. Like All these lifestyle changes can seem very daunting. And if you think you're going to try to do it all at once, I mean, you're just setting yourself up for failure. So I think a coach that says like, Hey, you know, we're going to focus if you don't drink any water, or let's just say something like that, we're just going to focus on drinking water. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And I think that type of person who just really understands behavior change and really making, just getting you to be consistent I think consistent on just executing on something, that is a coach that you, you can see as like, okay, this person definitely understands you know, what it's going to take for me to actually make yeah. these lifestyle changes. Yeah. And the other thing is experience. Yeah. If you can find a coach that can give you direct, tell you a direct story about his or her life and it connects to it somehow connects to what you want. You better hold on to that person because that person is actually opening up to you. They're being vulnerable. That's a great sign that they're going to care about your well-being because now they're sharing their story with you. They're sharing their lives with you. Mm. So then you can kind of get on this journey together. Yeah. That's my opinion. And I, I just find that it's very genuine it's open because, listen, at the end of the day, we are dealing with people's lives here. It's not selling a car. <laughs> so because it's not selling a car and we're dealing with lives and lives matter, like people matter, people matter to me. So I must share my experience with them so that we can connect. Yeah. Because that connection is what's going to help the relationship grow. That's going to that's gonna help them get on their journey because they have a story to tell too. Yeah. I think that brings up a good point, like finding somebody who is authentic, like a genuine coach, you know? And I think like that's something that could like, yeah, it could come from meeting one time, but it could also come from, you know, I have people who who started working with me after following me for a year and a half on social media. And it's just like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like you're super authentic. And there's a lot of people out there that are maybe not be as much, you know what I mean? They don't, mm-hmm. it's just all superficial. That doesn't usually help. And I feel like I, I answered Pat's question a little wrong. I was coming from like how to find a trainer, not how to determine whether it's a good or a bad one. But I think everything that you guys just said was uh, spot on. Boom. <laughs>